Amen. Well, we will be in Psalm 103 this morning. If you take your Bibles and find your way there, uh, we're going to focus primarily on uh, the content of verses 8 through 14, uh, verse 14 in particular. Uh, but we will read the entire psalm this morning, just to establish context and see, you'll see how it ties together as we read through the flow of this. And uh, great and wonderful psalm of encouragement, of thanksgiving. Uh, and so we'll begin here this morning. Psalm 103, and uh, most, most attribute the writing of this psalm to David, the king. Uh, there are some that feel that it was written a little bit later and attribute it to Jeremiah the prophet. Uh, but either way, it is clearly a psalm of thanksgiving. It is something that God has given us and displayed to us uh, to worship him. And I don't know about you, but sometimes whenever things aren't going as well as I hope they would, it's always good to be reminded to be thankful for what is right, what is good, how God is working, rather than focus on uh, areas in my life where maybe I feel a little bit insecure, where I'm struggling. Uh, and so it's always good to have an attitude of gratitude. And so wherever we're at or whatever we're going through, uh, and this psalm kind of helps us to look and to focus in the depravity of our sinful state that God's love and mercy and compassion uh, still is turned for us and put out uh, to us. And so we look here, Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thine diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Verse number 14, one more time. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. And I want to speak to you this morning on this thought, simply, he knows my frame. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the opportunity that we have to open your word. 
May we not waste the, and squander the opportunity, but may we open our hearts to you as well. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd work amongst us and that you would convict us of our sin, that you would convince us of the truth of your word. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that's never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and received forgiveness of sin and eternal life, being born into his family, that today they would follow in their conviction and they would surrender and yield uh, to your will and give, our heart to, give their heart to you. Lord, it'd be wonderful to see someone born into the family of God today. Lord, I pray those that are here that perhaps are uh, recovering from illness, illness, that you continue to touch and to strengthen their bodies. Thank you for progress. Lord, others that are unable to come because of affliction, I pray that you'd touch their bodies and that you'd heal them and that your will would be done in their lives, that your grace and your mercy would be sufficient to their families, that their doctors would have wisdom. And Lord, we thank you for the good reports that have come from most. And Lord, we are concerned about and praying for those that are still uh, infirmed. And Lord, I pray is now as we open again your word, may you open our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we look here at this psalm, and he starts off, bless the Lord, O my soul. Uh, and when he builds here, and he even culminates this in verse 14 with, I know your frame, uh, but he lays the groundwork for that where he, he starts off uh, for us to not forget his benefits in verse number two. In verse number three, he forgives all of our iniquities. He heals our diseases. Uh, he redeems our life from destruction. He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercy. Uh, it goes on and on and on. God's mercy and his compassion to his people. You know, sometimes we look at things and we perceive God's blessing when what we're really experiencing at times is God's mercy. Sometimes we would look and say, okay, well, I did this, and then we'll learn about a, a particular thing in Scripture about how we maybe go about doing something, and it doesn't line up, and it seems like, well, God blessed that, didn't he? Uh, well, sometimes he did so mercifully. It's always better when we understand clear, more clearly the Scripture to do it the way that God's laid it out. Uh, and so I remember a couple of, or maybe about three years ago or so, I was having uh, a conversation with uh, with a pastor that really has a strong emphasis on uh, on evangelism, but uh, a personal evangelism. We use the term personal evangelism to describe, uh, you know, group evangelism as a church. But really, when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, what we're talking about is me personally taking the gospel to someone else personally. Uh, it's it's not necessarily, and certainly there's nothing wrong with us going out collectively as a church, and we do that, and we'll continue to do that. But the focus is, is that every one of us ought to be in tune with the Spirit everywhere that we go, at every moment of the day, at every, uh, every opportunity. Are we looking for opportunities to share our faith, to, to be an encouragement, to, uh, to nurture someone in the faith? And really, that's the way that you saw Jesus operate in his earthly ministry. Did he preach to the crowd? Yes. Did he send his disciples out at times? Yes. But what you saw daily was personal interaction one-on-one -on -one to him uh, and so not to minimize the preaching and the teaching and all those all of it's important but I'm just saying this morning we were having this conversation and and we're you know there was a discussion around the table at lunch and uh, and he and someone looked at him and just said well uh, it, but you know we, we've always done things a certain way and God's blessed it and his response was this I'll never forget it he said mercifully so now, I'm not criticizing any particular way of evangelism this morning. That's not my goal here. My goal is to point out that apparent blessing is not always blessing. Sometimes
manifestation of God's mercy to us. He knows our frame. He knows our heart. He, he understands that we are trying to do the right thing and we're trying to do things the right way. And when we miss the mark, rather than God dealing harshly with us, he looks at times and deals mercifully and blesses anyway and gives fruit. Uh, the more that we learn, the more that we know, the more that we ought to strive to do things God's way. Here he deals with our sin as well. And I'm going to tell you this morning, you know, we look at ourselves and we, uh, most of us I think would probably say, yeah, I know myself pretty well. And some people uh, will be brutally honest with their self-evaluation and others will uh, tend to only see the good things about their character or their personality. Uh, the reality is, is that all of us have good qualities and all of us have bad qualities. Qualities. And, uh, you know, some people have a lot more good traits than they do bad. And some people have a lot more bad than they do good. And, uh, you know, we don't need to compare ourselves to, amongst each other. But the point this morning is this, is that wherever I think I am, and whether I'm honest with my self-evaluation or whether I have deceived myself into believing that I'm more than I am or, or different than what I am at least, God knows exactly who I am. God knows exactly where I stand. There is not anything that I can trick or deceive God into thinking about me. I can deceive myself. I can, I, I can make myself believe that I'm something that I'm not. Uh, and so, you know, if you, if you ever get to feeling that way, uh, I, I can tell you there are three entities in your life that will just naturally put you in your place, men, uh, if, you, if you get to feeling better about yourself than you should. Uh, the first one is your wife. The second one is your children, especially when they're small. And the third one is your grandchildren when they come along. Uh, and so they have no problem speaking the truth in love. Uh, and so uh, I was sitting in the living room the other day and my granddaughter Brooklyn crawled up in my lap and they were spending the night that night. And, uh, and she's done this several times now. And at first I just kind of laugh. I'm starting to get my feelings hurt a little bit because she sits in my lap and she looks me right in the eye and then she looks down at my belly and she says, Pops, why do you have such a big fat belly? And so the answer is, Bluebell, in case you were wondering. Uh, and so, uh, but just brutally honest. And so, you know, Jeremiah tells us uh, that the heart is wicked above, is, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The next verse says, the Lord God knoweth the heart. God knows everything about us. He knows every motive. He knows every desire. He knows every deception, uh, whether it's self-inflicted or inflicted from elsewhere. Uh, but notice this morning in this psalm, though he overwhelmingly says, let's be thankful and bless the Lord and, uh, and glorify God. He says in verse 3, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. That word mercy is something that we'll use from time to time, but we seldom look deeply into it. But it just simply put means to grant clemency or pardon. Now what's implied by the granting of clemency or pardon is that I'm guilty. Someone who is not guilty does not need mercy. Someone who is not guilty does not need to be pardoned. There's the implication, sometimes we think, oh, praise the Lord, he was merciful to me, but we, but we casually go through life failing to realize that that means I'm guilty. 
I have a need for God's forgiveness. I have a need for God's mercy. I have a need for God to be long-suffering with us. And in verse 10, he tells us, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewardeth us according to our iniquities. Praise God for that. Now, the verses preceding tell us that that's not always going to be the case. Judgment day is coming. He does say that he's merciful and gracious in verse 8 and slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. His mercy is plentiful. But it also says he will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. There will come a point in time when we'll, we'll face judgment. There will come a time where every person will stand before God and we will be judged based upon whether or not we have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior or whether we have rejected him as our Lord and Savior. So many times people look and people that don't have any biblical understanding will look and say, well, you know, if somebody does this, they're going to die and they're going to go to hell. And if somebody does that and go to hell, listen, the only sin that will ever send a soul to hell is the sin of rejecting what Jesus Christ has done on Calvary's cross. You can package it any way you want to. You can put any label you want on it. But the sin that condemns me to hell is the sin of this sinful nature. It is simply the identity. It's who I am. It's who I was born to be. What my father Adam passed to me caused me to be born into this world guilty before God and his law. And that's just a biblical fact. But God in his mercy, thank God he doesn't deal with us according to our sin. Saved or lost, God is merciful. Now he doesn't force us to accept him, but we have opportunity and when God lays this out and when God sets out here, he says, I know who you are. There are a lot of people that are deceived into thinking that if they, uh, if they cross enough T's and dot enough I's, that they're going to get to heaven. If they're a good enough person, hell will be filled with good people. Because heaven and hell is not about whether I'm good or whether I'm bad. It's about my position in the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I a part of his family or am I outside of the family? Uh, if I'm part of the family, I'll be in heaven. If I'm outside of the family, I'll be in hell. Physically, I was born outside of the family of God. But pastor, we're all God's children. No, that's a lie from the devil that's been peddled by the world. We are not all God's children. We are all God's creation. We do not become his child until we repent of our sin and place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and accept him as our Lord and Savior. At that moment, we are born into the family of God. Now, what a wonderful, glorious truth that is. To know without a doubt that I am the child of God. God, that I am the son of God, uh, that you can be the daughter of God. We are his family, naturally born into the family of God. You can't take that away. I can mess that up. I can get disowned by my family. I can be written off by my children. I can get to a place where they say, we don't want anything to do with you. They could get to the place, I don't think they could, but they could theoretically get to the place where I would say, I'm not talking to you anymore. You're not my son. You're not my daughter. But it still wouldn't change the fact that they are because they were born into the family. And with all of the, uh, the different theories and religions and all the things peddled by the world that are out there and, uh, and churches that are erroneous in their doctrine that they put out there, the simple truth is this, that God loved me even when I was unlovely. 
He commendeth his love toward me, Romans 5, 8 says, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for me to turn over a new leaf. He didn't wait for me to clean up my act. He didn't wait for me uh, to say, God, I want to live for you. He demonstrated his love to me when I demonstrated no interest in him. He commendeth, he demonstrated. I'm just saying this morning that God in his love said at some point because of my holiness, because of my righteousness, because the, uh, of, of what I've stated in scripture, there will be a time of judgment. And if my name is found written in the Lamb's book of life, if I've prayed and received Jesus Christ as my Savior, and he wrote my name in that book, uh, then that, that, at that recording, uh, then I will, at that, at that judgment seat, I will be proclaimed for all of eternity a son of God. I already know that. I already have the Holy Spirit indwelling me. He's already guiding me. But the great judgment is not about whether we're good or whether we're bad, whether we serve God or whether we didn't. It is, did I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior or did I reject Him? So, Pastor, then what difference does it make about us being good, bad, or whatever? Well, that's a separate judgment. The lost at the white throne will be uh, incarcerated in the lake of fire for all of eternity and the degree of their suffering will be determined by the acts and the works of their life. The, the, the saved person will be rewarded according to our obedience or disobedience. We'll either get gold, silver, and precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble. And it'll all look just as beautiful when we get it. But when it's tried by fire, it will be revealed as to what kind of work it was. Now, I'm just laying out there this morning that God has not dealt with us according to our current condition and the way of our natural state that he deals with us according to mercy. Amen. He looks at us and he, he, he could in all, right, in all righteousness without any need of apology, without any argument or accusation of cruelty say, you're a sinner, I'm bringing judgment upon you for your sin. He would be right and justified. But that's not how he deals, deals with us. He deals with us according to mercy. And he, the Lord is merciful. And he's gracious. And he's slow to anger. And he's plenteous in mercy. I, I don't know about you, but I'm not that plenteous in mercy. I, 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 wanna, I work at being more plenteous in mercy than I am. I work on trying to fill it back up when it gets depleted. But, you know, there are, there are some times where m the level of mercy that I have in my heart for certain things is just running really low or it's gone. And I'm not trying to justify that. I'm saying that I'm always right in that. I'm just saying that's the reality that we as human beings run out of grace. We run out of forgiveness. We run out of mercy. We get fed up and we get tired and uh, enough's enough. And we've got to justify to respond to people according to the way that they treat and respond to us. Thank God that God doesn't deal with us in such a way. That God looks at us in spite of everything that's wrong with us and in every way that we fail him and says, at some point judgment will come. But in the meantime, I have a lot of mercy for you. In the meantime, I'm long suffering to you. In the meantime, I'm going to display my love to you. He hath not dealt with us in verse 10 after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Now you begin to see 
the requirements for his mercy and grace. There is a measure of grace and mercy. But to those that love him, to those that fear him, to those uh, who keep covenant in verse 18, to those that remember his commandments and do them, there is a greater display or a longer period of time before that judgment uh, at times will come. Now, we talk about this here and it talks about not dealing with us after our sins and that we're talking here about our crimes against God. And sometimes, and, and we live in a day where it doesn't seem like crime is even a thing anymore. Uh, and increasingly so as the time marches on, things that uh, are very destructive or just being minimized and kind of swept under the rug. Uh, listen, uh, we commit crimes against God. Our sin is a crime against God. It's a crime against his person, against his character, against his law, uh, against, his, uh, against his will. And he displays that out here. That's where mercy is necessary. It's granting clemency or pardon uh, to those that have committed crimes against him. Nor has he rewarded us according to our iniquities. Iniquities in particular uh, are often described in scripture as those premeditated crimes. A transgression, for example, is typically uh, something that I would, where I would violate the law by mistake, without knowledge, ignorantly. Uh, and so, and there's a little bit of variation here, but predominantly when we talk about transgression, we're talking about someone who inadvertently transgresses or breaks the law of God. If, for example, if I you know, were to trespass on someone's property and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't posted. I didn't see a sign and I just thought I had, was in my rights and I was doing the right thing uh, and going out and they come and they found me. I'm still guilty of trespassing, but I didn't realize it. It's transgression. It's a little bit simplistic, but I'm just trying to get just kind of a baseline out here. And iniquity is whenever I see the sign posted on the fence or on the tree uh, that says keep out and I just say, well, I don't see anybody looking. I'm going in anyway. Uh, and so when, when that's my attitude toward God, God, I know that that's a sin, but I'm going to do it anyway. God, I know that that violates your law, your character. I know that that violates uh, your principles and, your, uh, and, and, and all of the things that you've given us here. Uh, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm just going to do what I want to do. The iniquity. And what God is laying out here is he's saying, listen, uh, he's not re rewarded us according to uh, our transgressions and our iniquities, our premeditated crimes, our perversities of uh, spirit and thinking. God's mercy is great and it's great to those who fear him. And he lays out here is a wonderful example, uh, like a father, as a father in verse 13, that pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them <coughs> that fear them. I look over the years and I think my, uh, my four children, there were some times when I'd get pretty upset with them. Sometimes I'd be pretty hard on them. Sometimes I'd be pretty angry with them. If I felt like I needed the point, I'd, I'd let it drag on for a little while sometimes. Now when I say a little while, I'm not talking about days or weeks or anything like that, but you know, I want them to think. I want them to have some time to kind of process and uh, for things to soak in. <clears throat> but ultimately, I, I couldn't live that way perpetually. I couldn't stay in a perpetual state of, of that life and that family dynamic. I, I, I wasn't going to live that way. So sooner or later, uh, the pity came in. The, the restoration of relationship came in. 
the, the going the extra mile to bring things around to help them to understand right and wrong and truth and error and all of those things came around. For as a father like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Now the word pity just simply means compassion that is accompanied by some act of charity. So when we talk about pity and, and nobody wants to be pitied and it's kind of a has a stigma in our culture but what we're talking about really when we talk about God's pity to us is that not only do I forgive you but I'm going to demonstrate that I love you I'm going to follow up this process with an expression of my love to you when chastening comes and by the way uh, if you're a parent that still has children at home when you have to pull them aside and discipline them when the discipline is over there always should be a time of restoration of that compassion that demonstration expression of love that restores uh, that there's nothing between them and their father their mother uh, and that they have confidence to know that uh, this has been cared for and this is set behind and we've learned from the experience and we've moved forward and and God is glorified in it as a father pitieth his children. And ultimately what we get to this morning is this, is that whatever state that I'm in this morning, listen, if you're here this morning and you've never heard this before, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, may I say to you that God is righteous and that God is holy and that you're a sinner like I'm a sinner and that you deserve eternal punishment like I deserve eternal punishment. But God loved us so much that he came and he looked and he could not violate his person. He could not violate his law. He could not violate his, his holiness, but he could pay the penalty for us. Jesus Christ if, has already served the sentence of every person's sin. Amen. He's already paid for it. It's already in God's economy gone. We just have to receive the gift. If you're here this morning and you've received the gift and you know but you, your fellowship with God is broken and you live in a state of disobedience and, and God is, uh, is not able to respond to you the way that a father wants to respond to his children, it's proper for him to respond to you uh, with corrective action rather than, uh, rather than to uh, just let you draw really close right now. May I say to you that God is longing for, for, to forgive that sin and to restore that relationship. And we look here and we would say whatever state that we're in, whether, we're, uh, whether we don't know Jesus as our Savior, whether we do, whether we're, uh, whether we're struggling in the Christian life or whether we're, our faith is strong and whether we're pleasing the Lord and living in God's favor and power, wherever we are, the, it, God is dealing with us like a father deals with his children and he doesn't make the mistakes that we make as fathers. Listen, I made a lot of mistakes as a dad, still do. And all my children are, are grown and gone, but, uh, but, uh, but I'm, I, I can look back and realize I made plenty of mistakes. If I get to forgetting them, all I gotta do is put all four of them in a room and listen to their conversation for a little while. <laughs> Sooner or later it'll come out. Uh, and so when we come to realize this is that God in his love and his compassion looks and says, I know your frame. There are times whenever I, I misinterpreted maybe something that was going on and corrected something that didn't need to be corrected. I jumped to a conclusion. I made an assumption. Listen, God doesn't make assumptions. God doesn't jump to conclusions. God knows us. He knows everything about us. He knows every thought that we think. He knows every desire of our heart. 
He knows the motive behind every action. We might be able to deceive ourselves. We might be able to deceive those that we work with. We might be able to deceive those that we live with. We may be able to deceive those that we go to church with. But we'll never deceive God. He knows us. Why? He knows my frame. And may I just say this morning, first of all, as we begin here, that he knew my frame when he gave me a life. It didn't take him any time to figure it out. My wife Sonia and I have four children, two boys and two girls. The oldest is 29 uh, and the youngest 21. And so uh, when, we, when we look at them and we brought them home from the hospital, uh, it took a little time to figure them out. They're all different. Now, you know, a couple of them have a lot of similarities and, uh, and, you know, two of them are a lot more alike than the other two. And it just kind of worked out that way in our house. But, uh, you know, but they're all different. They all think different. They all act different. They all process information different. They all uh, have things that are, that are of importance to them that are different from one another. Uh, it's really pretty amazing whenever you look at the, our family units, and I'm sure you feel the same way about yours, that how, how could, how could uh, you know, four children or however many that you have uh, that, that were produced by the same parents uh, be so different. And they came from the same parents, they grew up in the same house, they had the same rules, they had the same values, they went to the same church, they were taught the same Bible, uh, they went to the same classes, uh, uh, the, the whole nine yards, and how in the world could they be different? Thank God we're not all clones. God doesn't want us or need us to be cookie cutter versions of one another. What he needs is for us to be the people that he created us and designed us to be. But he knows. And I had to spend some time figuring mine out and uh, I still sometimes spend time trying to figure them out and, uh, and uh, things of that nature. But, uh, you know, the realization is, is that God uh, made us all different. And Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, he gives us that principle when he talks about Jeremiah in particular. But uh, truly it applies to every one of us this morning when he said, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, whom I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now he may not have ordained you a prophet unto the nations, but he ordained you for a purpose. He has a plan for your life. And he knew you before you were even formed. He knows us. We're not here by chance. We're here because God created us. We're here because God wants us to be. We're here because God has a plan and a purpose for our life. But the reality is, is that he gave me that life knowing my frame. That's pretty incredible to me. Because I have a lot of flaws. And, you know, when I look at myself, it's a lot harder to look in the mirror at 54 than it was at 24. If there's anything that's cruel in this world, it's a mirror. So those of you that are still under 40, you'll begin to appreciate that soon. Uh, and, you know, and, and my wife loves mirrors. She's got them everywhere. There's one over the fireplace. There's, you know, of course, in the bathrooms over the sinks. There's, uh, there's one on her dresser. There's, uh, there's, there's even one by the front door when you're walking out. There's one on the back of her door. I mean, if you turn around, it's like walking through a house of mirrors sometimes. And it's like, uh, and it's like uh, you know, my, my reflection is laughing at me on the way out the door. And so I'm just kind of going through things. The, the reality is, is that I'm well aware that I've got a lot of 
problems in my own life in this physical body and the way that I think and sometimes the way that I respond. And I, I look back at times and think, why did you do that? Why did you say that? And that was horrible. That was so dumb. And you're such an idiot. And you're so, uh, and by the way, uh, husbands, you know, I, I know we get called that a lot by a lot of other people, but uh, my wife doesn't call me that. I'm grateful. But, uh, but some wives do. And so, and they're not always wrong. That's the part that hurts so bad. Uh, and so we look and we, uh, we see and experience all those things. The reality is this, is that God, even knowing that, still created me. Do you realize that God knowing that mankind would sin and would force it to be necessary for Jesus to take on human flesh, to come to earth, to walk as a man, to live in the spirit-filled Christian, to sacrifice his life on Calvary's cross, to be raised from the grave, to suffer rejection, uh, to suffer betrayal, that all of that was necessary for God to pour out all of his wrath upon all of our sin on the body of his son on Calvary's cross was necessary. He knew when he created man that that was going to be necessary and he created us anyway. What does that mean? That means that's, that just gives us a picture of how special and how valuable we are to him. Hey, listen, you know, another one of the things that my granddaughter will sit in my lap sometimes and say is, Pops, what happened to your hair? <laughs> I generally point at her two aunts and say, they happened to my hair. <laughs> but she'll just honestly kind of blurt out there, Pops, what happened? just born on a sin-cursed earth. What can I tell you? And so, you know, the, the, the luck of the draw or the unluck of my wife, you know, poor, poor her. She's, she's the one that's got to look at it all the time. The reality is, is that God knew our flaws and he loved us anyway. You know, we look and we see in Matthew chapter number seven and uh, to many of you, this will be familiar, but he says here in verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, Jesus has been teaching about warning against false teachers and uh, giving a summary of what Old Testament righteousness was and then uh, dealing with the, the, the danger of of claiming Christianity but having no faith but belief in him without having faith and then he says that whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock and everyone that heareth not these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Here's the, the point this morning that God looks and says, here's my word, here is your condition, here is my mercy, here is my, uh, here is my standard, here's what I've done to solve your problem. If you will receive me and accept me, your life can be like a person who's built their life on wisdom and on a firm foundation, the bedrock and the cornerstone of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you reject him, your, your life is going to be like shifting sand. And when the storms come, it'll crumble. It may look okay for a while. It may be beautiful to look at for a while. But at some point, it's going to crumble. I would say this this morning, that God, when God gave me life, he knew that my frame was built on shifting sand. Before I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I had no capacity to build my life on the rock of Jesus Christ. I could employ biblical principle and certainly would reap some benefits for that. I could, I could live by 
by God's standards and by God's laws. And certainly I would reap some benefits from that. But I would not go to heaven because of that. Only receiving Jesus Christ as my Savior and forgiveness for my sins will take care of that. And what I realized this morning is that until I trusted Jesus, my life was on shifting sand. My frame was built on shifting sand and he knew it when he gave me life. He knows my frame. He knows that we are flawed. He knows that we are sinful. The second thing that he knew was this, is that our frame is decayed by sin. Sin is not something that just casually affects us. And it's wear on us is not something that uh, is often readily seen. It takes a while. James put it this way in chapter 1, uh, but man, every man is tempted when he is drawn, of his, uh, drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sin is a great corrupter. It is a corroder of all that's Good. Moses uh, chose to leave sin. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 12, he chose to suffer, rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Listen, sometimes it takes a while for sin to realize its effect. I was uh, walking through the neighborhood the other day and uh, went around a back corner and there was a stop sign and that stop sign was dangling. And I thought, well, that's really weird. And uh, we were walking by it, and I didn't make any comment about it, but, uh, but I looked at it, and the, the main pipe coming up out of the ground somehow had rusted completely through between the top and the bottom of the actual stop sign. So the U-bolt the holding the bottom of the sign was still attached, and it just the rest of it had just kind of flopped over. I just thought, that's, that's pretty strange. How did it get rusted through at that point. And, you know, somebody had to have done something to it, but it didn't happen overnight. I mean, it was rusted clean through this pipe. And, and, and I thought, I wonder how long that took to rust through. Whenever we were pastoring another state, there was a particular house at times when we'd go uh, a little ways out of town and there was this single wide trailer that was at the end of a, uh, a one road teen into another. And it's a state highway that went from uh, one fairly decent sized city to another in the state. And, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm looking and it, sometimes we're going by and all of a sudden this really old cruddy trailer that's collapsing in on itself. Uh, I mean, really, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, how in the world is this thing even standing here? All of a sudden they started building a house around it. And then they start building a house beside it. They started building a house around it. It was completely, by the time they were done, it was this, this old rotted trailer was completely encapsulated by this beautiful shell of a house. And I could never drive past her, even when it was finished without thinking in my mind, that's that house that's built around a trailer. And in the core of that, in the middle of that, is this old, rotted, decaying, dilapidated thing. What in the world? Do you know that's us? We can dress up the outside, but inside we're corrupted by sin. And it's going to take a toll. And it's going to come to fruition. Why? Because sin has a decaying effect. Our frame is decayed by sin. First little house that we moved into whenever we took our first pastorate, we had left a, a ministry where I was a youth pastor and came in as a pastor and 
there, there wasn't much salary and there wasn't any kind of a real parsonage or anything. They had an old house that was there uh, that had been a gymnasium or it had been a daycare. Uh, and so we're there. It's, it's, I don't remember how many square feet it was. It might have been a thousand, but there's six of us and, uh, and there's two bedrooms and there's no closets and there's one bathroom. And to make matters worse, the bathroom's attached to the kitchen. Uh, and so, the, you know, you just have to appreciate my wife's phobia about germs to appreciate that, how difficult that was. Uh, and so uh, we finally, there, there had been another bathroom down a hallway, but we ended up having to just kind of strip that out and make a makeshift closet out of it. Uh, and so the boys got their room and the girls were little. They were two and four. They ended up on a bed at the foot of our bed uh, in the bedroom that we had and uh, for a while. And, uh, and then that bathroom wall was crumbling down off the wall. This is an old plaster kind of a thing, and it was just flaking off and flaking off, and uh, and it just it, it was just the longer we were there, the worse it got until uh, finally things just got to a point where something had to be done about it. But uh, even then, it was difficult to get it done. It was just a gradual effect of the wear and the tear and the corruption of what had gone on behind the walls. It's corrupt. My frame is corrupt and he knew it. I would say this thirdly about him knowing my frame when he gave my life is that my frame was not worth the cost of salvation. It wasn't worth the cost. But it was to him. You know, I look at that old house that we would drive by and I see that old rundown trailer, but I don't know the story of that trailer. I don't know who's in the family that was before. But I can't help but think that no one would do that unless that building, that structure had very significant sentimental attachment to the family. It makes no sense. It's beyond reason. But yet, to the person that was doing it, it was worth it. And the reality is this morning is that when you look at who and what we are for God and who and what he is to look at us and to say you're worth it defies logic. But we're worth it to him. And I'm grateful this morning that we're worth it to him. My frame was not worth the cost of salvation it was not worth the sacrifice that God made. It was not worth the blood that Jesus shed. But he didn't deal with me according to my sin. The reason it's not worth it, it wasn't worth it, is because of my sin. But God doesn't deal with us according to our sin. And he tells us, he hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. His compassion inspired his passion and caused him to go to the cross for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross and he despised the shame that brought us to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Not only did he know my frame when he gave my life, but he knew my frame when he chose my life. Do you realize this morning that God has a purpose and a plan for you as we saw uh, in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5 and 
In John chapter 15 and verse 16, he says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask in the, fathers, uh, the Father in my name, he may give it you. In Ephesians chapter number 2 uh, and verse number 10, he tells us, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are the workmanship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we see here this morning is these three thoughts about him knowing my frame when he chose my life. Listen, I'm the last person that I would have chosen if I was God. When I look and, and, and know my frame and know my struggles and know my weakness and all of the uh, things that have taken place in my life and uh, growing up and all the different things, I'm thinking there are so many people that have been so much better prepared to do what God's called me to do than I am. But faithful is he who calleth you who also will do it, 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says. And what I'm saying this morning is just simply this, is that we are created in Christ Jesus, that we are his workmanship. It's not about what I can make myself. I, I, you know, we were told as a, as a kid, I was always told, uh, you, know, you know, we're going to make a man out of you or make a man out of yourself and aspire to that. Listen, it's not about what we can make out of ourselves. It's what Jesus Christ can make us to be. Amen. It's what he can mold us into. My frame uh, is was there when he chose my life. And the reality is, is that my frame was placed upon his foundations. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19 and 20 says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We don't build that way anymore. But when the cornerstone was used, it was the most important thing that was ever put down. If the cornerstone was out of place, the whole house was out of square. If the cornerstone wasn't level, the whole house was unlevel. Everything was built off and upon it. It set the stage for everything else that took place in that construction. And that's the way the Christian's life should be built around the Lord Jesus Christ. Not by ourselves, but built by the great carpenter, the Lord Jesus Christ. We, my frame was placed upon his foundation and my frame was repaired by the king's carpenter. It was Jesus that built me. It was Jesus that restores us. It's the Holy Spirit that takes his word and leads and guides us and shapes us into what God would have us to be. And so we see here when he chose my life, knowing my frame, that he placed it on a foundation that the Lord Jesus Christ, the carpenter, the king, began to take over the construction of that life. And then thirdly, we see that my frame was designed to fulfill a purpose. He designed us to fulfill his purpose. He told Jeremiah that, that the house was not built uh, on the frame of some dilapidated old shed, uh, an old fallen in trailer, but it was built on the foundation of the person of Jesus Christ. And I would just simply say this, Christian, that if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're his child, you're a Christian in God's family, that God has a purpose for your life. He chose you the way that you are. Stop being depressed and stop being angry about how God made you and just accept the fact that you are exactly who God made you to be. Amen. Pastor, I have deficiencies. He knows. Pastor, 
Uh, you know, I've, I've got all these scars from my sin. He knows. Pastor, I have all these things that I can't do anymore. He knows. Pastor, I could never. He knows. He shows you the way that you are. You are a member of the body of Christ. He did not create you by mistake. He did not make you the way that you are by accident. He made you that way on purpose because that's exactly who he needs you to be so that you can be a blessing and an exhorter to those that are also trying to live this Christian life. Stop fighting who you are and embrace the beauty of what God has created in your life and ask the master carpenter to fix the things that are wrong so that you can glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. He chose us the way that we are. He chose us where we are. You know, whatever stage of life you're in, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether your life has been wrecked by sin or whether you found Christ at an early age and have lived your life for him, whether your health is wrecked because of those choices or whether, uh, whether it's wrecked just simply by chance and the, the, the sin coming and falling upon the just and the unjust, whether you're, uh, whether you're healthy and vibrant or whether you're in your latter years and you feel as if your best days are behind you, may I say to you that no matter where you are in life at this moment that God knows where you are and God has a plan and a purpose for your life he shows us where we are and he began immediately to conform us into who and what he needs us to become I'm glad that Jesus has a great capacity to improvise there was a master plan for my life and I've messed it up a few times but even in the midst of of my destruction of his master plan, he has a wonderful capacity to improvise that plan moving forward and to shape it into something that brings him honor and glory and is useful for his cause. He knew that when he chose my life and he knows that when he blesses our lives. Psalm 103 verses 17 and 18, but, every mercy, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. And his righteousness to the children of the, to the children's children, to such as keep covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The weakness of my frame has been covered by the greatness of God. The failure of my life has been covered by the splendor of who he is. So how does God bless us, Pastor? Well, first I would say this: He blesses us with relationships. I am not a outgoing personality. I don't particularly enjoy crowds of people for long periods of time. I enjoy them for short bursts of time. But if it's the family reunion that's going to last a month, I'm ready to go home after about the third or the fourth day. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I, it's great to see everyone, but we've got things to do. There are other people that they could live in a family reunion mode for a lifetime and be content as larks. That's not me. But I'll tell you this, there is great value in our relationships. None of us can be satisfied, fulfilled, complete if we have a life that is void of relationships. God didn't create us to be that way. God can't properly use our lives to what they were designed for if we live that way. Galatians chapter 5 and Verse number 13, uh, he says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. 
there's an object we have to be serving one another. The Christian's life should be defined upon, and our service at God's house should not be defined upon what we get, but what we bring. Not what we can get from someone else, but what we can contribute to someone else. Do we all need to receive from one another from time to time a word of encouragement, a word of uh, a, a, a pat of congratulations, a, a, a prayer when there's a need? Uh, those, of course we do. But we ought to be giving it out a whole lot more than we need to receive it in. By love we should, and we ought to be able to do that without begrudging. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such in one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Rather than sitting back and condemning the world and burning down someone's life because they've got sin in their life, restore them. If they refuse to be restored, then things have a biblical course to take. But our first objection, our objective should always be restoration, forgiveness, healing. The blessings of relationships. What a wonderful blessing it is to say, well, Pastor, my, and the relationships in my life are all a wreck. Let Jesus fix them. Sin wrecked them. But it's what God designed them to be. Listen, I'm, I'm grateful for the relationship uh, that I have with uh, with my older family members, my mom, my dad, my aunts, my uncles, people of that nature. I'm grateful uh, for the relationship that I have with my wife. There's no greater blessing uh, in my life than my spouse. I'm grateful for the relationship that we have with our children. Listen, blessings of relationships. I'm grateful for the relationships we have with God's people when we come together and we see each other one in the uh, out in, in the world. Listen, it's it's uh, it's a wonderful thing to be out somewhere and to uh, just be going about your business and look and seeing someone that you worship and serve the Lord with. It's just an encouragement, and we look and we see the blessings of relationships. You can't uh, not interact. We can't be and experience all that God has for us if we never interact and build relationship with God's people. If our relationships are a wreck, realize what we've done to wreck them and fixed it. Don't just live that way forever. Then we see the blessing of souls. John 15 and 16, he said, I, I've, I've, I'm not hiding anything from you. I'm telling you this, that you have fruit and that your fruit would remain. Listen, the Christian life ought to be bearing fruit. We see thirdly that the, that's the blessing of doing his will. In Hebrews chapter 13 uh, and verse number 21, uh, we see... Uh, in Hebrews 13, 21, where he comes and he says that God will make us perfect in every good work, mature in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Listen, our life ought to be busy doing the will of God. Why? Because Jesus' life was busy doing the will of his Father. That's the example that he set. As we close this morning, I would just say this. That when God looked down and God chose to bring me and God chose to bring you onto this earth, he knew your frame and he knew that frame when he gave you life. He knew every good thing. He knew every bad thing. He knew every sin you would ever commit. He knew every bad decision you'd ever make. He also knew all the things that would be accomplished in your life when you surrendered to him. He knew you when he chose. He knew your frame when he chose your life. There was no surprises with God. He knew exactly the work that needed to be done. He knew exactly how to do the work to make you into his image. And he blesses our life. Listen, God's desire is to bless you.
let him. How fear him. Follow his word. Be an obedient child. Build a relationship with your father in heaven. Why? Because when we do, we walk in his favor. When we walk in his favor, we have his blessing. We're under his loving care. Not because we're worthy, but because he's merciful. Realize this morning, God, you don't, know, you don't owe me anything. We live in a time when everybody thinks they're owed something from somebody. God owes me nothing. The only thing that I deserve is an eternity separated from God in eternal hell. In the eternal lake of fire. And pastor, that's horrible. That's the result of sin. God didn't choose that. Humanity chose that. God looked down after we made that choice and said, I love you too much to not give you a way back to me. And he looked down and he expressed that love. Listen, God does not desire for us to live in misery. So what about, Pastor, the, God's, the people that have sickness or that God will use all of those things to bring glory to himself. And if God has chosen you to suffer, you will be rewarded richly in heaven for it. But even in the midst of our suffering, we can have a peace that passes all understanding. Even in the midst of great difficulty, we can have a relationship with God that the world will never understand, that which, in which he will bestow his grace to us to get us through what he's called and what he's chosen for us. Will I yield to that? Will I surrender to that? Will I fight who God's made me to be? Or will I look and say, God, in spite of all my sin, instead of all of my, in spite of all my problems, in spite of all of my failures, in spite of all my self-doubt, you love me. In spite of all of it, you've been merciful to me. In spite of all of it, you chose me. Thank you for your great mercy. I exalt you. I praise you. I honor you. I glorify you. That's the point of this song. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Why? Because his mercy is great. His love is greater. And his mercies and his compassions fail not. We can fail him for a lifetime, but he'll never fail us. He'll always be true to who he is and what he said he'll do. Will we, first of all, trust him as our Savior? Will we, second of all, surrender to him and be obedient children to our Father? Will we let him express his love to us in a way that allows him to use our life for eternal benefit and purpose? and for his glory.